Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup. Topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it. And enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy. Without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. We got quite the lineup for you today. Before we get into it, make sure you subscribe to Point Forward wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on all social channels at Point Forward. First off today, we're talking... Why the NBA 65 game rule is here to stay. We dive into Book and Steph's losses despite scoring 50 or more. Statistically, how often does the high score games even lead to a dub? Then we ask, what is Adrian Griffin thinking right now? Mm. And lastly, our guest on the pod this week is Joe Kim Noah. That was fun. That was a fun interview. That was, that was a lit interview. Hold on, I got a question for you. Talk to me. Do we go... I don't know if this is tooting my horn or is talking down on people, do, but do we go over a lot of folks' heads? Bro, I think so, bro. And to be honest with you, I'm just I'm not even going to toot my own horn because y'all don't give me enough credit to go over your head. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So when I do, just feel dumbfounded, dumb ass. <laughs> right, I like getting on that. Boom. <laughs> That's perfect. Point. Forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life, and that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Of the game. Now you already know what it is. Point Forward is presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code Point Forward, because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So, bro, is, is anybody still watching the Grammys? Like, did you did you see that Jay Z thing? I feel like I tweeted about it last night. I only saw the highlights, but. I watched the whole speech, and it seemed like it inspired everybody's social media. You know how you have certain things happen that you see, and then it just brings everything full circle on how it happened in the past? Yeah. So when Jay said, he went on a ramble yeah. about the Grammys. Yeah, I watched the three, the the three minutes. Yeah. That's the only thing I saw. Yeah. I was out working. I don't see TV anymore. It's, 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 it is what it is. And he was saying, some of y'all don't belong in your own categories. <laughs> and then he said, I'm sorry, I'm done. All right, no more. I tell the truth when I get nervous. Yeah. And that 
in that moment, I thought of every fine that I've gotten <laughs> in my interviews over my NBA career <laughs> because I was feeling something, but I'm, a, I'm nervous as to I don't want to come out of my mouth what I'm thinking. And I gave you the nice version, and it still got fined. Yeah. And so I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, when I get nervous, I tell the truth. That's real. I, I feel like everybody Twitter was like that. I feel like I just be talking shit, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. But it was a beautiful moment um, hearing the bigger message, Jay speak on how far hip-hop has come. It was the Andre Young, Dr. Dre Award. Yeah, that was crazy. That Speaking was crazy, yeah. Crazy, because he, he brought the all the way back. Award. It was impact, not, yes. not like hip-hop award, the Impact, impact Award. award. And, yeah. and just what he's done for the culture, how he's moved the forward. You know, nobody was talking about wearing button-ups and wearing suits, you know, having art. Because yeah. art you can insure against, and yeah. then art you can take a loan out against, and then art you don't have to pay taxes on. You can pass it on to create generational wealth. All those things people don't really understand about how he's trying to lift up the community, although he's not physically there. Yeah, right? So it's all it, part. Or you say, y'all call it bougie. I say, fine, I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for free 99. You can't be spoken better than that. Can't be, bro. And so he was just speaking a lot of life when he was talking, and it was. I was in the back of an Uber coming from a meeting, and I was able to, like, really digest the conversation. But remember, like, growing up or, like, we were first in the league, like, those moments where African Americans were on the main stage, there was, like, a real presence to it. Like, when, when Kanye would do his thing or when you see, like, special performances, like, there was big conversations and inspiration that came from it. And I feel like that's kind of lost its luster. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe it's the new generation we're in where you're just consuming things on a, you know, uh, what is this, a four by six, seven device? Yeah. And so, I don't know. I, I know it's one thing, though, and I think it's like uh, kind of allude to when uh, Uncle Shay Shay was saying that Beyonce isn't a, as big of a star as Taylor Swift, but if you're looking at some of those uh, clips from there, mm-hmm. I felt like Beyonce had a line around the, the out the door trying to get a picture with the queen. Yeah, because it's been it's been an interesting year yeah. surrounding Taylor Swift, yes. NFL. You were just talking to me about the numbers. Mm-hmm. I would love for you to share them with me because it was just like I'm like, huh? Trying to comprehend it and how it how much GDP she's added to the NFL. Yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. But when you look at reverence, you can't quantify or you can't place a value on it. And I think that speaks to Beyonce being our queen. And we always talk about royalty. Yeah, like why can't we have royalty? while we're alive and you know we have our basketball royalty I've spent, spoken about that with LeBron and his lineage with his two boys and his daughter uh, just a family there uh, but Beyonce and Jay-Z are the real royalty mm-hmm. for our community and it showed she's got a line of 70-ish people lined up to take a picture of her like these are other people's royalty yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah, yeah. Like, no, for sure crazy. I mean like, shit. walking golly forming around immortal men like crazy shit mm-hmm. and that's uh that was pretty dope to see. I feel like that was your favorite celebrity's favorite celebrity. So that was a highlight from the show, considering. Speaking of the Grammys, it's a perfect time to dive in and heard them say. And, uh, you know, it's a space where we go to the streets and hear what they've been saying. So, they always um, got something to say. And yes, of course, they always have something to say. And this next person is somebody we they always talk about, which is Taylor Swift. And word on the street is they saying as much as uh, people get tired of hearing Taylor, seeing Taylor Swift at football games, they're saying if she really wanted to, she should probably charge a check for her presence at the football game. 
because what they say the Chiefs have gone up like what NFL has mm-hmm. made over three hundred and thirty million dollars since she's been involved with the <laughs> the NFL or at the games at the NFL. How do you feel about that, bro? That's that's kind of crazy, Jay. Well, being who I am, naturally, I would say, where's my check if I'm her? Yeah, yeah. And so I have to look at it from that vantage point. But being a real sport sporting event fan, you know, sports fan, I feel like that conversation takes away from the actual sport. But in high, like, but looking back, I don't think it has. It's been some amazing games. Yeah. The NFL's been killing it. And I was just looking at something not too long ago where they were saying all of these leagues are set up as entertainment. Yeah. Entertainment first, sports second, or entertainment business then sports. Who knows how, yeah. what the order of relevance is for them? As long as the outcome is income. There you go. And so, I, instantly, I'm thinking, will this formula try to be? Will someone try to replicate it? Who would be the equivalent of a Taylor Swift? Because obviously, it's not. I don't think it's Kendall. It can't be Kendall, but at the same time, that Kardashian family has a lot of influence. So, like, who, who out, like, who's out there that's that big of a deal? Adele? I mean, Rich Paul got her. And they don't even show Adele that much, and she be at all LeBron games. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know I don't know. I'm trying to be nice in how I say this, but Taylor Swift has a middle America appeal to her. Yeah, of course. Where it's on the surface. And so I, it's not a knock on her. But it's just it's it's more appealing based on what's presented to you. Cause she someone asked Aretha Franklin what she thought about a bunch of folks. Alicia Keys, great mm-hmm. piano player, great writer, Beyonce, great performer, great singer, uh someone else, great voice. And then they said, Taylor Swift. You know what she said? What did she say? <laughs> she has nice gowns. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, you know, there's a cultural difference there that we just, we may not understand and we have to just take it for what it is and that she just has this mass appeal that can't be, you know, can't be replicated. No, you're right. Make another hove. You know, Jay said that. Some say make another, some say they made hove. Okay, so make another hove. Because he know he can't be replicated. Maybe in this situation, Taylor Swift can't be replicated. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, she just broke a Grammy record. They saying, like, shit, if you can't get the Super Bowl in your town, you might as well book a Taylor Swift concert because that's going to clear that and then some for the economy. So I know – so right now, Lyndon Tree reported 39% of 11 to 26-year-olds admitted that Taylor Swift influenced them in the purchasing sports gear. That is actually – that's crazy, man. That's, but, but they – but. But we'll have a She's dapper a Dan. Starbucks but, or a human. But we'll have a dapper Dan. You're right. Or we'll have our Virgil, or we'll have our Kanye. But we, you know, we're not. Our culture isn't allowed to say his name anymore. Yeah. No, I'm only giving her props. I, I shit on her so much. So like at one point, I'm like, damn, these some facts. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? I'm like, oh, these some facts, yeah, dog. Yeah, like these, yeah. this is, this is just like. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's mind blowing. Regardless, yeah. like yeah. Yeah, I respect it. If you can't get the Super Bowl, just book a Taylor yeah. Swift concert. Drake even said I'm only dodging Taylor Swift dates. That's just bizarre. Yeah, it's almost as crazy as uh, <laughs> what did Michael Chase say about gentrification? 
<laughs> he's saying uh, the SNL guy. He's like, you know how popular you got to be. He's like, <laughs> if a white woman is here, <laughs> the value is going to add up. It's going to go up off the rip. It's like, do you know how popular you got to be to gentrify a spot like Brooklyn? Or like they said, but like, I don't even think people comprehend what we're saying, to be honest. No, and I dig that. And like Lupe said, man, sometimes, you know, you're going to dumb it down. My fault. <laughs> you know how I feel. <laughs> but you can't really do it, G. Don't edit that N-word out. Yeah, don't edit that out. But that's real, bro. So we'll talk about it later, man. Point. Forward. All right. A lot of conversation over the last week. Some scenarios mm-hmm. um, and situations with players and injuries around the 65 NBA game rule and why it's here to stay. I've had some really good conversation on both sides. Yeah, for sure. So here's my point of view, right? And, and, and you have to be, I have to be cautious. But I do feel like we are an 82 game league. Now, Winning a handful of championships, you understand how important it is to pace yourself throughout the mm. season, especially if you're defending yeah. over and over and over again. But in the same breath, you don't want there to be such significant financial ramifications behind a rule like this because of an unfortunate event like a guy getting hurt. I'm like uh, Tyree Halliburton yeah. situation. And so... The words, the words of the week have, have been unintended consequences. And it's coming from low management, and then you hear the fans have a negative reaction to low management, and then you have, uh, you have a dynasty like the Warriors, and then you're on the road, and then you start seeing fans with signs saying, I traveled all the way from Mars. Yeah. <laughs> I traveled all the way from the space station. Yeah. I traveled all the way across the galaxy to see this game. And then you get letters to the NBA and sponsors saying, I paid all this money to come see you play. Why aren't you playing? It only it happened to me one time. I never forget. Some kids, it was a son and father in the stands. And he was looking at me. He was like, I brought my son on the way here to see you play. And I'm looking at him like, I'm looking at him in a manner of, you're not telling the truth. He's like, no, I really came here to see you play. And my reaction was, I play with Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant. Yeah. You came to see them play. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just kind of like doing what Draymond's doing. I'm playing yeah. defense, yeah, and yeah, I'm just getting out the passing, way. Yeah. I'm, I'm just making sure, you know, I'll do my job. Like, ain't nobody coming here to see me play. That's just how I approached it. Yeah. You know, I know I'm. I mean, a, you look at the jersey. I mean, shit, signs all point to it. Right. Sometimes you're like, no, I'm just part of the group. Yeah. And so it was weird to see that. And so he was like, no, I'm really serious. Like, my son came. And I wasn't thinking of it in the moment, but I'm year 14, 15. I don't play all these games. Like, no, it's a lot different than my fourth, fifth year in the league where I'm playing hey, I'm playing 82 games a night, 42 minutes. Like, I did that. Like, I really did that. Like, I led the league in minutes. Yeah. I couldn't believe I did that. But looking back, it was, whoa, that was crazy right, how many it. minutes we were playing. But it's just been getting a lot of discussions uh, the last week. And, you know, what are your thoughts on it? I think, as, as anything, when media focuses, focuses on it, you can always pay attention to the bad. So you're looking mm-hmm. at you know, favorites like Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton, they're going to be penalized 
or Tyrese could be at risk being penalized for these, you know, particular, you know, for this particular rule. I think one thing that has occurred is like, shit, besides that, most of the dudes have really been playing. You look at yeah. dudes like Kawhi Leonard, he's on pace to play more than he's ever played. You know Just what I mean? With the Spurs? The mm-hmm. Spurs, you know what I'm saying? You you dive deeper into it. There's a lot of dudes that are still pushing through the game, and on top of it, I think it's a six-month season, you're technically allowed to miss three games a month, dog. Mm-hmm. But think about, like, I didn't went four or five seasons playing 82, 81 games. You went how many se- seasons w- without missing? Like, bro, to be able to miss three games a month, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think, like, what occurs with the cons that we might not always necessarily know because if you look at the, you look at the past few all-NBA teams, like, in 2022-2023, 11 out of 15 players from the all-NBA teams play under 70 games. And you look at, you know, Giannis last season, he played 63. You look at, you know, uh, Damian Lillard, he played 58. You look at Steph, he played 56. LeBron played 55. Shit, Jimmy played 64, and he's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, super Superman. So, I mean, when you're looking at this right now, I guess, like, the con is that I guess some of our top players, if you're looking at it, this might affect them the most. So my question will be to the voters, what's their criteria for voting on the All-NBA team? Like, what's your list of criteria that you look at to see whether you put a guy on a list? Because body of work it's probably one of those things, right? Yeah, I I totally think so. That matters. That's you gotta get different people to vote for the All NBA teams, regardless, bro. Like because I want to I want to know their criteria. Aha. Like you understand? No, what I'm you, saying? You, just, you brought up a great point. Yeah, because you're talking to a bunch of people that don't know basketball. Because it would it would actually alleviate this rule, to be quite honest. Yeah, because when you sit there, it's like, yo, Joel only plays. 58 games, but, bro, he had one of the most unbelievable yeah. seasons in history. Yeah. We're going to let that seven go. Exactly. And that's just like, it's how how you know it's okay? The guy said it. Let's go check with pass. And when you do Naismith, Naismith of, or ask the former winners mm-hmm. who they think should be a Naismith player of the year. Mm-hmm. It's like the same thing with like, uh, okay. like what Shaq said. Like, nah, bro, I've been certified. Like, yeah. fuck with like the media talking about. Like, yeah. I talked to Bill Russell. I talked to Kareem, like, mm-hmm. I'm stamped. And I mm-hmm. feel as though when it's coming down to shaking things up and having those conversations, I feel like there will be a na- natural exceptions that you have to really mark in. Like, come on, bro, like, Halliburton slips on a wet floor because the ball boy don't. Mm. 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 So now he's mm. $40 million out because naturally a 16-year-old kid might have slipped up and missed the spot. Yeah, you're speaking, you're speaking. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, when we're sitting there, it's like, nah, like – Give honor amongst these as well. It's like when I talk to Tatum. Like, yeah, you can stay in all the game and play 48 minutes, but, like, you a cold dude. Your, your job should be over by third quarter with a True with story. a towel on. And we all know, like, the difference of the levels. Yeah. And I feel like that's where that's where I feel like even if we switched up, like, who gets to vote, they comprehend what that means. Mm-hmm. If my man Tatum's averaging 28 while two other people are averaging 22, Put him higher on a on a on a on an MVP list. Mm-hmm. Like you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Right. Like that type of stuff. But right, 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 right. I, right. I, I think when we're talking about the mentality of the game and you're talking about just pushing through, there's nothing wrong with telling folks to push through. And I think like, bro, to be able to miss three games a month and all-star break is ha- like literally a week long, G. Man, when I said shit ain't broke, man, go get your paper, cuz. And I will end it here. No ducking matchups. How about that? That's it.
Hennessy and Mitchell and Ness have come together for the ultimate drop, a limited edition collection to celebrate Hennessy's continued partnership with the NBA. Because some things just go together, like Evan and myself. Hey, man, man. Remember when we met back in the day at Tim Grover's attack facility? Mm-hmm. I think it was like 08. I was finishing up my freshman year, and you were about to prepare to get that bag, right? Yes, my extension year. We met in 08. In 2010, we fast-forwarded to be each other's teammates. Mm-hmm. I obviously thought I was better than you. Then the first day of practice, I go baseline. And you, you Brian blocked my shot before that Brian. That was a good block, G. <laughs> bro, I remember that, that. Bro, that was an amazing block. I'm looking like, bro, what just happened back there? And then I'm like thinking something, like talking to my agent. Like, bro, you just said I was better than this <laughs> Look, on the court, you're surrounded by a collection of personalities, egos, and talent. But when the pieces come together, that's when you form a great team. The same thing is true when you mix a great drink. Different ingredients come together for the first time, complementing one another to make something out of this world. And beyond the drinks, this drop with Hennessy and Mitchell and Ness celebrates the intersection of basketball with art, music, and fashion. Elements of culture that represent ways the fans and players pay homage to the game. The exclusive collection will have a limited drop available for both in retail and online. Check out at Hennessy US on Instagram for more information. Hennessy, without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Point. Forward. So, Dre, we saw Devin Booker losing both his big scoring outputs, 52 at New Orleans and 62 at Indiana. Mm-hmm. And even when he dropped 70 versus Celtics, he still lost. Along with Steph losing after dropping 60 in the Warriors' recent loss in overtime versus the baby Steph Curry, Trey Young. So if you score 50 or more points, what's this? <laughs> My fault, G. I, no, I, I understand what you meant. Like, no, nah, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. What it take to be an all-star? A win. Bro, that's crazy. If I got 29-11, fuck you, G. I'm no, you, what you say to me? Oh, yeah, if, if I get 29-11, you know what I'm doing. We get a W. <laughs> you know That's what I'm, what I'm saying. You know what I'm doing, too. <laughs> so, right, think about it. So, nah, never mind, Trey Young. Stay at the crib. <laughs> Your ass in the way. But anyway, but shout out to you for player of the week. Trey Young was player of the week. Oh, nice. He bounced back like a G. Oh, no, he took out Steph. He took out Braun. And, and he, he took, took out... out Oh, he took out KD. So what is so we're asking right now, we asked our friends at DraftKings to tell us what the odds are for a player scoring over 50 points and their team winning that game. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's so, interesting. <laughs> this is crazy. So you know, Go kill yourself, basically. The odds are, yes, they win the game. Is that a minus 300? That's an implied probability of you're supposed to win 75% of the time. Mm. And then no is that plus 250. So if a guy is going... On a crazy scoring binge, I think we saw, we saw Luca and Devin Booker go crazy on the same night, mm-hmm. and Luca won, and I think Book lost that night. Yeah, Book yeah, lost yeah, that yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, there goes your odds. I guess that might be you can track those because them dudes was putting up like twenty five in the first quarter. Yeah. So 
you can look who they're playing, and you can make a bet on if they can get to 50, whether they'll win or they'll lose. That's a crazy bet. Yeah. And not only that, bro, when you're breaking down, like, the Suns, it's like somebody get 40 every other week. Is one dude just <laughs> shooting the whole – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Bill had, like, three 40-point oh, games yeah, already. Did. I'm like, bro, so who's on that team? Yeah. No, but look, bro, so we spoke earlier. You text me. Mm-hmm. But we have this conversation about the 50s. We go tough on Trey. We go tough on a Devin Booker. Whoever's beige, we usually go tough on. Right. Besides his one individual beige man, the leader of the platoon, <laughs> you text me and said, does Steph get the same criticism for that 60? And he lost. And I said, nah. You said, why? And I said, that's Steph. And you want to know why? Because it's a deeper conversation. Do Steph get, like, credit for being a real and just letting his homies drown him at sea. <laughs> Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code point forward. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58. With code point four. the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort, Kansas, 21 plus. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. ctkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Now this is real. To open up our segment, That's a Bar, and considering it's Black History Month right now, we're going to open up with a Black History Month bar. So, speaking of... I state the stat to stunt. I don't need the front. Make Black History every day. I don't need a month. Who said that? Well, I do prep the writings of the writer, which is Evan Turner, so I do know that as Kanye West. But I didn't know that as I was reading it. What song is that on? A song, if you were really a Yay fan before he fell off. Um, no, so basically, the, the Deaf Comedy Jam poetry. Oh. When he had all, like, the Louis Vuitton luggage and yeah. stuff, and before he really started doing the bittersweet poetry. Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Well, speaking of uh, African American History Month and building things and not getting credit for it, <laughs> Doc Rivers <laughs> speaks on... Quote, this is ridiculously bad. It really is. Rivers said of getting the All-Star nod after one win. So Doc Rivers is the coach for the Eastern Conference All-Stars in the upcoming All-Star game. He also says, quote, well, Adrian's going to get some money, that's for sure, and a ring. It's one of these quirky things. I think there should be a rule somehow that someone else does it other than me, unquote. But he got the job. And this is another moment in Black History Month. Doc Rivers... Is the first black man in history to have white privilege. Look, look at all this luck this man be having. He's basically Danny Ainge, dog. I'm not saying I'm saying like luck, not like white privilege. I'm just saying like, damn, my G, like we. I mean, be, they did some racist stuff to him when he was in Orlando. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying like this is this is a win. <laughs> Yo, okay, I'm about to say like this is a win, bro. Like shit, Doc always up, bro. This man got forty million dollars after retiring. I think. The more interesting thing is you have a coach get fired and he technically was the best the, coach. 
best coach in the conference because he got the privilege of being the Eastern Conference head coach for the All-Star team. This is interesting. What do you say? How did this happen? I don't know, but what do you say? I mean, you got a good relationship with some folks who were. I know. I know. (laughs) I'm going to pull out Andre. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But imagine you were Adrian Griffin, your head down, you upset. You just, you did enough to be an NBA all-star coach. I'm sure that's a pinnacle. And then you see some old dude tap you on your shoulder, say, here, kid, pass you a pity ring and a check. You going to take it or you ripping that bad boy out? No, you got to – I wasn't thinking those ways. Mm. I'm saying I'm taking the money, I'm taking the ring, and I'm auctioning it off for my personal gain. Think about this. How many people have an all-star game ring? You're right. That wasn't a part of a bankruptcy situation. And it's a big moment in that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, like, obviously, forget coaching. When you lose a job like this, or, like, forget the all-star game coach, will he ever be a head coach again? He only got got fired within, what, two and a half, three months? I mean, I would hope so. That's tough, I bro. had my job longer than he did. <laughs> what were you telling you? And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you look at Jock Vine after they threw the after that happened in Orlando well, back know, in yeah. the day. I didn't think he's going to get another job. It took him 11, 12 years yeah. for them to fire a dude that wasn't even supposed to be a head coach in general. Yeah. And Steve Nash, you'd be like, oh, you've been doing this? Yeah. Take that job. You know what I'm saying? That's what's so tough about when you're talking about, like, it's ridiculously bad. It's just I mean, he might not ever get a job again on top of the fact that he, he coached well enough for the dude behind him that's one and four currently to make the all-star game. Like the public embarrassment embarrassment is enough based off the fact that like how hype was he in September? Right. Now the bro, that shit, man, that's that's some I'm fired shit and come <laughs> back with that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look at it like Frank Vocal went went and won a championship. Got fired the next year. Then got right back on. Yeah, but you want a chip, though. That's what I'm saying. Point. Forward. Are right, we ending on all-star snubs. Why? That, like, the, the criteria is crazy. We yeah. saying Trey Young didn't win enough to be an all-star again. Yeah. But I want to call Sabonis and, and De'Aaron, Fox. De'Aaron Fox. But then it's what happens again, bro, and it's tough. You do the head-to-head. The Kings took out the Warriors. Mm-hmm. You can arguably say that De'Aaron outplayed Steph during that time. During those two head-to-head games, that's all I'm saying. Bro, I just gave it. I saw the games. So what they do then? They they, they evened it out. Steph might have him barely on the the numbers. No, no, no. I think Steph probably won a battle. I'm just saying what tipped it was the win. Like, what else could they argue besides them killing and being like, well, head-to-head, we beat the Warriors, my nigga. I'm just looking at their record. What's their record? They're they're six. They're they're top six. They're like fifth. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like in the in the But it's three guys that made four guys that made the all-star team that are lowered in them. Steph, LeBron, A D. Mm-hmm. And who's the last? Who else made the all-star team? Damn, right. that's crazy. Nobody from the Kings made yeah, it. Yeah, that's O D G. It's one of them times, man. Should have A D have made it? People say he shouldn't have, but I think so. I thought AD was like the most consistent playing one, to be honest. He was. You. I thought he'd been doing everything. He has. Yeah. He has. I think now they just don't want to pay attention to him playing hard as hell and, like, what they've been asking him He's been do. doing his job. Yeah, like, and, and available beyond. and everything. Yeah, now people just went out. 
and the and the Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one team in the West. Their coach is coaching the Western Conference All Star game. Oh, then never mind. Yeah. Shout out to Carl Anthony Townsend, yeah. man. Fuck, we must not be watching the game. This week we chopped it up with our good friend Joe Kim Noah. Everything from his insane run with the Bulls to putting the Basketball Africa League on the map. Tap in. So, Joe Kim, I read an article recently where you said you're endeavoring to curve out your, your unique legacy. So where did that uniqueness start from? Like, take us back to the beginning. Because I know you're, you know, like coming from a melting pot. We just spoke on how you basically are like a renaissance man in that sense. Well, first and foremost, I just want to thank you guys for taking the time. You know, we used to compete. You know, it was always a war against you guys. You know, you used to talk a lot of shit. I remember that. Andre used to get buckets and then start hand, his arms would get low like a gorilla and flexing. So it's just like good now that we're done to be able to, you know, take a step back and look back what we went through, like the blessings and, you know, be able to talk about, um, you know, the next steps in life. So I just want to say I appreciate you guys for having me. Oh, no, thanks for pulling up, man. For we, sure. Yeah, you've always been one of our favorites. Yes. And, you know, Joe and Kim, even just hooping, you know, in Chicago and stuff, you were, you know, you were a moment, you were a time, and you still are. So we appreciate, we were hyped when uh, our man Art, Art of Rebound, was like, no, I can get Joe and Kim. I'm like, if you can get Joe and Kim, we, everybody in the chat was lit. Like, yeah. yo, we're getting Joe and Kim. So yeah, appreciate that you. meant a lot, bro. And, and, you know, even just get you, you know, get you in, pause, and, you know, open up a little bit more, pause. And uh, <laughs> I think your story is, is definitely a dope story. And like I said earlier, like, reading your background is one of the most unique things i wish my kid was that <laughs> that diverse with that many opportunities because when you when you when you meet you from the get-go it's always like a down to earth yeah you know what i mean yeah. somebody whose foot touched the ground and uh I, i've always admired that about you and how you uh you know lit up rooms when you walked in or even when you know you used to get hate a lot when you left florida it was like it never bothered you you still mm-hmm. went right back to when you know still be joe account thanks man no doubt appreciate that no i no it it's, it's only like a certain people. I say it to ET all the time. It's only certain people when they enter the room, their energy shift. And like you're one of those people. And your stature, of course, but I think it's the way you carry it. Like you just uplift everybody. And going kind of back to what ET was saying in terms of, you know, endeavoring, you know, to carve your unique legacy. When did you realize, like, when did you realize you are who you, you become? I don't, I don't think that I, I see it like that. You know, I just come from, uh, I'm a third generation athlete. My grandfather um, was from Cameroon. He was a uh, soccer player, uh, only black guy uh, playing on the Sedan uh, team. And uh, they won the championship uh, in France. And then, you know, dad had his, his story as well. You know, left Cameroon at 11 years old. Arthur Ashe found him. Uh, playing with the wood paddle and, um, you know, gave him an opportunity to go to um, um, a school in France, uh, a boarding school in France. So, and then, you know, five, six years later, he was the best player in, in, in France and ended up playing Wimbledon with Arthur Ashe. So I think that being able to have a father figure who was very known, um, winning the French Open, 
dreads, black guy. Um, I, I grew up around that, you know, where my dad was very known, and you know, I wanted to have my own, my own voice. I, I felt like I wasn't being heard. I, I couldn't express myself, and that's what basketball allowed me to do. So, even though my parents divorced, um, I was very young. I don't remember. We moved to New York City, and you know, I love basketball. So, to play basketball in the city is is really unique, and to be able to you know compete, you're playing against kids who are surviving out here you know they they looking at basketball in a completely different context like they trying to feed their families it's a whole so that was kind of like the energy that you know I was groomed in uh, so to me like New York is the melting pot like mm -hmm. this is not you know just the way I am is is because of places like this you know and and my family so what, what age did you move to New York I was 12. You were 12, and you lived in Paris from, like, 3 to 12, right? 3 to 12, So what right. were those early days like, and what was basketball? Like, were you playing basketball around that time, or was it when you got to New York, you just heard a bunch of fuck out of here from, <laughs> from the court, and you was like, no, big man, get your ass underneath, <laughs> underneath the rim. You know what, like, um, Paris, is, Paris was, uh, my childhood was, was great, you know, I, I'll never forget I lived with my mom on the on the week during the week she would take me to school and everything take me to basketball practice but then on the weekends I would stay with my father and you know he played with with the real I, I remember him like teaching me how to ride a bike and he would go jogging and so I would always have that education of what it takes to be a professional athlete you know just he taught me how to fight through fatigue and that's the best gift my my dad ever gave me like I grew up a privileged kid and you know you're gonna have you guys are all gonna have to we all have to deal with that with our kids but that's what he taught me is just like endurance and and fighting through the red being in the red and I feel like you know people always said like that was one of my strengths when I played and it was because of these things that my dad taught me, you know, like wake up in the morning, 6 a.m. At first I would take the bike and, you know, he would jog for 30, 40 minutes. And then at the end of the jog, it's like sprint that shit out, you know, until you put until you're exhausted. And then let's run five more sprints, you know, just so that was kind of my education. I just seeing how hard he worked, um, the discipline every day uh he was a party guy too <laughs> but yeah. it was um i think that's the biggest thing that my dad that i learned from my dad is just being able to train through through fatigue you know and um so i would say that would that was my childhood and he would take you back to like cameroon a lot to see your grandfather and that's great grandma too as well that's right what was that like and what did you learn from him because to a certain extent you could say the OG was your granddad that started it all, and and what did you see from there? We were just talking earlier when you go to Africa, you know, as a young black man, you feel like you get so much strength from seeing where you right. where you're rooted at. What did that do for you as a as a youth? You know, Africa is a very special place. It's a very charged place, and it's uh it's hard to put into words. But as soon as you step on the motherland, yep. 
it's a different energy. It's a different vibe. And I don't know, it just gave me a lot of strength. You know, every time I would go back, I remember being a kid. I remember Santa Claus was black. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, Santa Claus, Santa Claus is black? He's like, yeah, Santa Claus is black in Africa, yeah. Right, that's a big in my deal. house, like, too. Yeah, but like in the 90s, like that's a big deal to see or even hear, bro. Like, <laughs> back in the day. Hey there, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast. And yes, we are in the thick of the college hoop season. Our pod runs at least three times a week and covers everything you need to know. From the power conference team to the mid-majors, the scoops, the stories, game predictions, previews, huge recaps, everything. We cover it all. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball Podcast wherever you get your pods. So, yeah, so um, no, Africa, for, for, for real, it was a big part of um, my identity. I was always very proud to be from there. That's the way I was raised. And, you know, my mother also being Swedish, I would go back over there as well. So, you know, that's that Viking blood. They, yeah. you know, they talking about Valhalla, <laughs> and it's a whole different culture. So yeah. culturally, it couldn't have been more opposite. Mm. Yeah. Um so, you know, and your mother I just was had, like, uh, she was Miss Sweden, right? My mom was yeah. Miss Sweden. Um, but my mom's like a blonde lady you would never know, but she's a Rasta woman, you know, very, <laughs> very free spirit, yeah. you know, um, always making sure we hugging trees and just the hippie vibe. Yeah. But it's a very, very special woman. Um, and one thing that they all shared is just, the social work, you know, it was yeah. always about giving back. Um, you know, my grandmother in Africa has a school that's still there seven from 70 years ago. Mm. Um, it's still going today. Um, and my mother works with me with Noah's Ark Foundation. And um, and dad has done a lot of unbelievable stuff, too, in, in France, you know, just with Fête Le Mur, building tennis academy, uh, tennis courts, uh, you know, in the projects all over France. Um, so I was raised in that environment, the social, you know, just social work and the education of, you know, when you're an athlete, it's about more than being an athlete. It's about giving back uh, to, the, to the communities that need it. And I got to see that with, uh, with my family. Let's go more into Noah's Ark. You started that in 2010. Obviously, we have Sean Tass, the Chicago area. What, what was that about, and what was, like, your intention towards it? I see you don't do—you you do a lot. You're not, like, one of those, like, uh, attention whores where it comes to, like, mm-hmm. philanthropic work. You do something that's authentic to yourself. So what about, like, you know, Noah's art that made you want to start the foundation, but also to dive deeper into some, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations in the city of Chicago, which is tough, like— Good question. Um, you know, when you play for the Bulls— I always knew that this was something that was uh, really special because it's one of the most recognizable logos in sports, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. And, you know, when you play for a team like that, you have a responsibility to give back. And that's like we were talking about. That's I was raised that way. And, you know, as you play over there, you realize there's a real toughness about that city. So I always wanted to represent that. You know, when I played the game. Um, and then with my mom, you know, my mom came. I think it was her first time coming to Chicago, my first year. And 
we, my mom went to a community center on the west side, Major Adams. She knocked on the door and she said, okay, like, do you guys, what are your needs? Can we help? And so we've been going to Major Adams for 15 years. And, you know, we, it was never about promotion or trying to, um, it was always about what can we do to help. And, um, and then in my second year, I also saw a documentary called The Interrupters by Alex Kotlowitz. Shout out Alex Kotlowitz, one of my uh, mentors, uh, same guy who did the documentary Hoop Dreams. Yeah, yeah. And that documentary just, it changed my life. And I remember writing a tweet about it and saying, wow, I just saw this documentary it's unbelievable. Anybody wants to learn or educate themselves on the violence in Chicago, please watch this documentary. And the main guy in the docu documentary hit me up right away, Kobe Williams, who's one of my big brothers, yeah. who all of the work I've done in Chicago was with him. Yeah. And I feel really blessed because it could have been any idiot off the street and it ended up working out. Mm -hmm. And the guy is just, mm -hmm. to me, he's a, a, a real angel. You know, he changed his life around, uh, went through it all, and somebody who can navigate the city. Um, you know how difficult yeah. it is to navigate yeah. in that city because everybody's looking, what neighborhood are you from? Yeah, what set do you represent? Yeah. This and this and that. He's able to navigate the whole city and... I feel really blessed to be able to uh, work with him. We started a basketball league called One City, uh, a kind of peace league where we, where we uh, work with 28 different violence prevention groups and everybody brings their 10. And you know what? We've been doing it for a long time. We brought it back. Um, you know, I was using all my sponsorship money when I was playing and when I was done, I ended up so I was like, yo, I can't do this anymore. This can't come out of pocket. Yeah. And so I ended up going to Springfield and, you know, meeting the, the governor. Right. And I told him straight up, I was like, look, like, I can't pay for these programs anymore. I've been doing this for over 10 years. I need help. And we just got our state budget uh, six months ago. So I'm really, really happy about that, being the first athlete to be able to um, – get some state funding and do these violence prevention programs. So I'm hoping that other guys can see this as well and, and, you know, get inspired and, and be able to use, you know, talk to their governors or uh, the mayors or, you know, and then be able to uh, do social work, you know? So, so you say that the players can get paid. Uh, the players, the players in the league are getting paid. So, we end up getting the funding, and what we're doing is, we're paying. Yeah, we're paying the players fifty bucks a game. That's right, G. I like that. And man. they can and they can get like skills and classes and financial literacy, That's all those right. things. So we're not looking for the next. We're not looking for the next NBA player. You know, this is about working with um, the shorties that need it. You know. The thing is, the basketball got a little competitive, so guys are starting to bring the best players in, they, in yeah, from yeah, their yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. So it was like. It's important for us to also realize, like, we're trying to work with a certain demographic, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but overall, 
this summer has been really special. You know, I think uh, Tony Allen, big shout out to Tony Allen. He, he, you know, he's, he's with us right now and he's going to come next in the next couple of weeks. We, we, we starting again. So we're doing this three times, three times a year. Okay. They're 10 week league. The leagues are for 10 weeks. So we try to have one in the summer. We have one in the winter and in the spring. So, um, yeah. And we're able to pay our participants. So, to me, that's the best part. We hook them through the basketball, and then the most important part is being able to work with people who are willing to help with financial, you know, different programs yeah. outside of it. So financial literacy or job opportunities, job education, you know. So uh, we're always trying to make our program stronger. And, um, yeah, it's only, the, it's only the beginning, man. I'm, we're really hype about this. And, and shout out to Tony Allen for coming on, on board and helping us, um, helping, you know, he's another guy from Chicago, yeah, yeah, yeah. another guy that we used to battle, had huge battles. And that, to me, the beauty of this whole thing yeah. is putting, you know, being able to put all, all our shit to the side yeah. to build this ecosystem, you yeah. know? This is not about, I'm not making ma- any money off this. It's not about us making any money. It's about helping our communities. And speaking of which, I mean, obviously he wasn't, you know, uh, a foe, but what you're doing with Laurel Dane and uh, what he's able to do to Basketball Africa League. And uh, mm. I, I've seen you've been super excited about that. But let's yeah. dive deep into that and talk about what Luol has done and how he's been able to, uh, you know, bring you along along with Derrick Rose. And you guys have been doing a lot of big things out there. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. You're asking a lot of good questions, man. Not, oh, a, lot of people, <laughs> not a lot of people <laughs> ask these questions, so I appreciate that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, Luol has always been a real inspiration to me. I sat next to Luol on the plane for eight years. And Luol was, Luol was a refugee, you know. So, uh, you know, when you come from that kind of pain, you know, you, you, um, it's very, very impressive to see what he's been through, what he's been through and what he's able to do right now is beyond, beyond words. I mean, I really feel like you have to understand South Sudan is the youngest country in the world. Mm. Uh, South Sudan got its independence six years ago. He built the first courts in that country. He brought his high school coach. He brought Royal Ivy. Yeah. He brought them to South Sudan. They were practicing on an outdoor court. And they qualified for, for the, the Olympics. Olympics. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, Luol is like the most inspiring person to me. And talk about the social work that he's doing and what the empower, empowering youth in developing basketball, where basketball doesn't didn't even exist. You know, when you even think of like the history of that place, and you think of like one of our great ambassadors for, for African players was a guy called Manute Bull. Mm-hmm. He built a hospital. Right? Mm-hmm. He built a hospital. He used to pay, he used to give his check to villages in South Sudan so that they can get weapons to protect themselves from being ravaged. 
That's what Manute Ball was doing to protect themselves from the north, yes. And he was giving his whole check to protect the villages in his in and then when you think of the next generation, Lou Aldman comes, becomes the president of the basketball federation and qualifies for the Olympics on the first try. Yeah. That's the kind of human we're dealing with. This is a this he and he's I mean, I'm going to France, like I don't care if they play USA, I don't care if they play France. I'm for South Sudan. This is bigger than anything. Mm-hmm. So a big, big love for for Luol Deng, everything he's done. Um, you know, going from South Sudan, having to leave his his people, moving to Egypt, where you know he was not welcome as a black man, going to England. <laughs> Leaving England, going to Blair Academy, growing, becoming a basketball player, going to Duke. You know, people right. think, oh, okay, because he went to... No, no, no. This guy has a real story. His yeah. his background is uh, deep. Yeah, Royale told me he came over here didn't like didn't even have shoes. So, like, I remember one time I made a joke, like, about Lou, like, is he nice, he's this, that, and a third? And Royale's like, bro, don't... No no slander, no nothing. I, I literally saw my man with no shoes. And, he, and he's an all-star. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, it's like, no no slander, no nothing. Like, when I tell you, didn't even have a coat? He's like, didn't have shit. He's like, my man is eating. So, mm-hmm. it's... it's, it's <laughs> no, I, you know, you remember when we did the pod, and I was I was the guest of our pod, and you asked me, like, who were some of the players you wish you could have, like, locked in with? And I was like, Luol Deng, with no question. Because we was competing so hard. I was the... He was the... Luol was the sixth pick. I was the ninth pick. So it was always that mm. in class battle where it's like we the same position, you know what I'm saying? The Bulls could have picked me twice. They passed up went to him. So every time I seen him, we always knew like, yo, it's a battle tonight. Mm. But I never got to lock in with him because of that. And that's what be the sad part about the league. It's like, yes, you should have that battle, but when we step off the court, we should be able to build and break bread and it was always like Frowned upon, so like I mean, always mm-hmm. wanted to fight and shit, bro. I didn't get that from them, though. No, I, 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 I feel like something weird will always happen every time. Like your ankle injury when people were booing when you got oh, injured, yeah, yeah, cheered. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I felt like it was always like some static in those. I mean, they play with a chip now, man. Like those Bulls days was tough. It was honestly, yo. Those I'm, ha- I'm happy that we're talking about it because. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. Even not long ago, doing this was not part of, like, that was not, I was not raised to do this. Like, my, like, Ben Wallace, people like that would not be, like, they would tell me when I was a rookie, like, yo, we're not we're not friends with other people. Like, yeah. other yeah. teams, like, fuck the other side. Like, yeah. that was, that was the energy yeah. my yeah. OGs raised mm-hmm. me on, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And then... You know, same thing with KG. It was right. like my rookie year. He was my hero. Yeah, and then great. he fucking shit all over me. And yeah. I was like, yo, yo, never again <laughs> will that ever happen in front of 20,000 people. Somebody trying to do me like that. Right. Like, nah, fuck that. So, and even with y'all, it was always like, we used to go at it all the yeah, time. Yeah, we almost fought one we time. No, no, one time we fought. I don't know how it happened, but I just know we just came nose to nose, Paul, and we were just like, I was like, fuck it. I guess I'm fighting Joe at Kemp. And they got stopped like right the second. Remember that? The second it stopped, we went face to face. And he just, he spared me, I guess, man. I don't know. But that was, that was, that was a, yeah. it was a hot 22 seconds. But we wasn't like the city of Cleveland. 
No, true, <laughs> true, true. But even you go back there and you're always like kind of, you know, so open and outspoken. Besides making a statement about the city of Cleveland, you were brave enough to even, when Brian had his little dance and ant- antics and stuff, like, bro, that's just corny, dog. Like, corny. Like, when you go back to those moments and like, those up and down moments where you become like the villain, how, how did you used to, you know, use that to fill yourself in order to become, you know, Defensive player of the year, you know, top five and MVP voting and all those type of things. And even playing for Tibbs, who, you know, certain people, you'd be playing 43, 44 minutes uh-huh. a night, Doc. <laughs> 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 43, 44 minutes a night, Doc. I'm like, man, y'all better be an all-star shit. <laughs> He's a kill Luau. Uh, yeah, just like yo, that. Kid, bro, Luau was in the hospital for yeah, like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. G off the, like, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. And then Tibbs would be complaining, like, they said I can't play my guys. Like, yeah, after surgery, you can't play them 45 <laughs> minutes, Tibbs. Let the, for real. <laughs> let the stitches heal. <laughs> uh, shout out to Tibbs. You know, um, you know, it was uh, playing when you have that hope of winning a championship. Mm -hmm. It's um, you're willing to do you're willing to go places like you didn't even think you could go to. You know, I, I would like whatever it took to get there, I would do it. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that was kind of like my mentality at the time. Did it cut my career short? It probably did, but you know, I was a—I only knew one pace. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I played at one pace. I played with uh, a certain intensity, and you know, the way that I played was—it was not geared towards longevity. I wasn't out there shooting corner threes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. It was like. I was out there every time the ball went up, I was going for the rebound. It wasn't, yeah. oh, sometimes I'm going. No, it was every, <laughs> every single time. time. Yeah. And you know what? That was That's why when people sometimes, I'll be walking or something, and people show me love in the street, like, yo, salute how you played the game. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest compliment, yeah. Yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And look, we were going for it. You know, we had a, a certain style of play. And, you know, we didn't win a championship. You know, you got to give credit when credit is due. Yes, in battle, when you compete. The, all that talking shit, all, it, it happens. It, it, it's Competition is not always pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's also ugly. And I think that's what people love about it because yeah. it's the only, it's like the only thing that's real. You know, is competition's a motherfucker. That's just the way it is. But as you get older... You know, a lot of people, some people can, you know, put that shit to the side and and then live their lives. Like, I wasn't that guy. I was yeah. not, I, I couldn't sleep after we won. I couldn't sleep after we lost. Like, I lived, I lived this shit. Mm-hmm. And the you city know? lived it too. I mean, just yeah. being outside looking in, just having friends from Chicago and everything being like, no, we supposed to have a chip this year. We supposed to have a chip that year. Even the year when D-Rose went down, like mm-hmm. you guys finished first in the East. And, you know, you guys felt like you had the best shot to compete with the Heat. What do you remember about some of those battles and when you look back on it? Because sometimes you might be in position to be like, ah, we got them, we got them, we got them. But what did you think about the Heatles and how could you compare them to some of those battles you had? Like versus, uh, you know, you guys had the best first round ever versus Celtics back in, what was Mm -hmm. that, 09? Mm -hmm. That was BG. That was BG, man, D-Rose, BG. Bro, that shit was crazy. You had, man, y'all had the city popping, shit. Thanks, bro. 
I mean, look, look, we even competed against you guys. You guys beat us in in uh, one year as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2012. 2012. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, when you're on top, you think it's going to last forever. And it can be taken away from you so quick. You know, um, to me, what I'm really proud of those teams, even though we never won a championship, the thing I'm most proud is like my brotherhood with Luol and Pooh and the guys from those teams are still like some of my best friends today. And I, I realize that that's, that's rare. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, like I've done trips to Africa with Derek and trips with Luol with, uh, to Africa and, you know, there, that's that to me is bigger than winning a championship. You know, and I have to tell myself that because I have to sleep at night. Because <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it was it's tough. You know, like there's nothing more in my life than I wanted to than to win with the Bulls. You know, and you know we fell short, injuries. You know, I think that the first time we played the Heat, we were like, yo, nobody. Okay, they beat us, but. We're coming in stronger. We're young. We feel like we have a 10-year window. And, you know, it, it didn't work. Like, life doesn't work that way. So, I felt you because I remember when D-Rose, he went down against us, and you said that was like equivalent to like 9-11. Yeah. And I remember D-Rose got hurt that day, and I went to middle school with Iman Shumpert. He got hurt that day. Oh, I didn't know he got They the both day. tore the ACL. But mm -hmm. I remember sitting down and just being like, talking to my buddy Will Buford, like, bro, this shit is... Like, what does this mean? Like, he's, you know, he's hurt. I mean, yeah. that was huge for the city of basketball, but just for, uh, you know, that point guard situation. But one thing I always remember was uh, you guys always had, like, effective point guards afterwards. So what was what was it about that system where, you know, guys like Lucas and, you know, C.J. Watson, Watson, yeah, Watson, yeah, uh, yeah. Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson. Like, it was always the one man and the three man going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, tip system. Tibbs had, I mean. You see he's going crazy right now? <laughs> yeah, true. He's going crazy right that's now. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Tibbs is special, man. He was a, he was a great coach. Um, what makes me happy is, like, there's no bitterness anymore. Like, I can look back. I'm really proud of those teams that we played on, you know. Um, I think that everybody came in and gave it 150%. And that's all you can really ask for, you know. Yeah. Like, go all out and and then live with the results you know yeah. i mean injuries i don't care who it is it's tough and you know people process in injuries differently you know some people can look back and be bitter for the rest of their life you know that's what uh what i'm most proud of about Pooh is i see his family you know i see he's at peace yeah, like yeah. as a man yeah, he's, he's at peace and to me, that's what I'm the most proud of. Because when I see that what that guy's been through, and to see him, um, you know, like head high, comfortable, no bitterness, you know, it's it's tough when your city uh, turns on you, you mm -hmm. know, like it's tough. Yeah, like I, mean, I, I live through. They boo me when we play y'all. <laughs> <Yeah. game one. laughs> it's rough. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. Um, no, I'm 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 really proud of that guy and how the way he carries himself. Like he's a real people's champ, and um, I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, and you know we're in this phase right now of the game of basketball. <laughs> like we had to put it in the 65 game rule, right, to mm -hmm. win awards. And 
you've been on wax saying you believe that European players work harder than Americans. Mm. And I think it's how we're bringing up our youth basketball. Mm. Like I've been on wax saying this. It's our it's our development system where we're building kids to take care of us. We're not building kids to play in the NBA because they love it. Mm. I need my son to play in the league so so I can enjoy the fruits of his labor. Mm. And we've built this sense of entitlement with our kids where we're not teaching them the fundamentals. And so the last few MVPs have been international players. Mm. And, I mean, you just spoke passionately about how you felt after a loss. I guess from my position where I'm at, what do you think the game is missing and and what needs to come back? Because it feels like, you know, we were around – like you were trying to play 82 games, but at the same time, you spoke to it. It's, did it shorten your career? Mm-hmm. And so, from my from my seat, how do you try to balance all that out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. It's like because like, you want to protect the players, but at the same time, I think sometimes people forget you also you must protect the game. Mm-hmm. You have a responsibility to the game. And so I know it's hard for people to hear me say that, but I'm an 82-game guy. Yeah. You know? Now, if you are hurt, obviously, you can't hurt yourself. But I do know some things about load management, and I have to be careful how I not give leverage to someone else on my take on load management. Because you do have to build a certain type of load. Mm. to sustain, to play at a high level so you don't get hurt. Yeah, that could be a difference between 13 and 17 years and you go get you two chips. Exactly. Or, 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 you know. <laughs> 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 like, from like, my year 10. But maybe it worked because those first, my first, I didn't get hurt, hurt to like my ninth season. No, my 10th season, I tore a hamstring. You can't mess around with that. Mm-hmm. And that's the Tyrese Halliburton situation. That was when I was with the Warriors. It was mm. the first time I ever got hurt more than, like, two games. Yeah. I was out, like, three, four weeks. I was like, oh, I ain't you. I tried to come back on my own and almost hurt myself by myself. Like, oh, let me walk off. off. Yeah, you, you got to snap your body into, like, that NBA level of, like, like working, competing, and, like, mm-hmm. getting into the full swing of, like, the season. Cause I think it's yeah. 25 games in. Right, right. So, I guess, like, how do you, you know, we go back to that Europeans versus how Americans are raised and, and – their mentality approaching the game, like what mentality should we be teaching our kids? Jeez, that's a great question. I think the when it comes to load management, it's complicated. You know, they put the 65 rules in. I understand why they did it. But it's deep because now you're seeing guys like Tyree, you were just saying how, you know, there's $40 million on the line. Mm-hmm. And you're out there playing, risking it all to try to get an all-NBA. So I think that every situation is really different. Are you playing for a championship? Because at the end of the day, is this this about winning a championship or is this about entertaining? So for a fan, on a fan's perspective, I understand the fan's perspective. I'm paying a lot of money to come and watch this guy play. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I understand that piece, but is the is the of the is the mindset about being able to put the guy on the floor all year, or is it about 
playing in June. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's a completely different, that's a completely different thing. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then, so that's answering one part of your question. The other one is, yes, I did say that the way that we are raising our athletes in the States is completely different than the way that we're raising our athletes in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the systems are different. In, in Europe, Real Madrid has a 10-year-old year, team. Real Madrid has a 12-year-old team, a 14-year-old team, a 16-year-old team. So as a 12-year-old, you, you can go to the 14-year-old's game. You can go to the 16-year-old game, all the way till in the, the weekend on Saturdays, the pro play. Mm-hmm. So the, the pros play no more than two games a week. So the, imagine the intensity of the game right. when you're playing once or twice a week. You're waiting for a week to play. Imagine how imagine how crazy the NBA was if you played once a week. Man, you're thir- in college. I used to be thirsty as hell. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm, like, man, I'm finna give out eighty this week. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the energy. Yeah, that's, no, that's real. That's real. Yeah. This week on the pitch, AI versus models. My co-founder and I have never been represented when shopping online. This lack of representation in e-commerce drives down conversion rate, leads to a high return rate, and is a problem for both consumers and brands. This is where Flock comes in. I'm looking at a lip product here. So it's got some up-close pictures of lips and lipstick with different skin tones, different nose shapes. Is that AI-generated? It's fully AI-generated. Got it. Mm. It's an existential question for modeling agencies. Because besides walking down (laughs) a runway, what are you doing? Yeah, Yeah, modeling might go away. There's just no other way to be able to do it in a scalable solution without using AI. Things get existential on The Pitch. Go right now and subscribe to The Pitch wherever you listen to podcasts. I mean, I could I could have used that forty. That eighty two is kicking my ass. The eighty. That's what I'm saying. I, to me, <laughs> I agree. Check. No, all right. I could have used. I do. That's why I, I took the eighty two and just took my career how I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because but I always and I think this is why we hold him at where we hold him. Michael Jordan set the standard. Where people don't realize, Mike MJ only played fifteen years. Two of them, he was thirty nine, forty years old. And took a two year break. And he took a two-year break in his prime, but he played 82 games a year. But I think I heard David Robinson saying something about him in the Olympics. He's like, listen, man, I hung out with this dude. I watched him play 36 holes of golf after he just bust the best players in the world, bust their ass in practice. Then go to the beach, hang out a little bit. Then go back, play cards all night long. And he's like, man, I am dying. I got to go to sleep. Then hearing, like, this dude stayed up all night gambling, hanging out, having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, MJ can gamble. He's a competitor. They had a game the next day. This dude came to shoot around, boom, did his thing. Then game time comes. He was like, this is what I heard David Robinson saying. Maybe he did, maybe he did not say it. He's like, this dude has, has a deal with the devil. Because he went out and destroyed the team. He was like, I, I, I'm struggling to get up for this game. And I know I'm better than everybody, but this dude is full throttle. He is who he is. He was like, he has, he's dancing with the devil. There's no way that this should be something that's real. And I think there's a competitive nature to it because you just spoke to it. Mm. You went to, you didn't sleep when you won. You didn't sleep when you lost. 
Because that's just the competitor in you. And we were talking earlier before. You were like, do you? He was asking you, do you miss? And you was like, man, I just, I just miss like going to hoop. Like I'm, a, I'm gonna get somebody to just work this evening. Yeah. I, I think that is what might be missing. Because what are we playing for? But it's hard to explain that because I use you as example, Joe Kim. Your mentality. You're a top five MVP, your defensive player of the year, won two national titles, like everything, like everything you do. You can't shoot 40%. A dude shooting 40% might <laughs> might be playing in a league ahead of Joe Kim now. So what I'm saying is like, what are we missing? Is it the mentality that trumps everything? It's like, yo, no matter what, Joe Kim can lock down a, a joker in his prime or this and a third, or does it mean that like we're focusing on just the skill set? And most kids being like, Fuck winning. I can shoot 36% from the tray. I can dunk this motherfucker and analytics say, you know, I'm shooting 50 from the two. Like, that, I feel like, is mixing, missing up, like, the the, the the blend of the game or just a complete player. Like, the yeah. mentality with the skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, to your point, I think that the game, when I look at basketball right now, I don't recognize the, I don't re- recognize basketball from when we used to play mm-hmm. it. Like, when we used to play, I mean, I'm not talking about Golden State because that doesn't count because <laughs> yeah. that's a whole other but thing. But people forget we were top five in defense. Oh, no, y'all, no, for sure. Every for sure. Time. Y'all play, like, five different ways. Y'all are just unbelievable, yeah. bro. Like, sometimes, like, when we y'all play basketball. Like, looking at them no, now, sure. it's a shame because it was like, no, that them dudes play, like, it was like a machine, bro. Y'all always, bro, that was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> that was That, was, that was a joke, But bro. it was just, like, the way you guys spread the court just revolutionized. Mm-hmm. It revolutionized the game. So for me, it's like even when we talk about when we used to play in the playoffs and stuff, my boy, my boy was like showing me the scores. I'm like, yo, this looks like the scores at halftime. <laughs> you know eight what I'm saying? We only shoot eight. One game we had 12 threes. Or most. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the game is just, it's so different now. You can't even compare the errors, the the. All right, the physicality, like listen, you can't you can't do anything. I'm seeing I saw a dude get a foul call for for just Or you hitting trash. You can't yeah. he was hit he was hitting <laughs> yeah. He's hitting homie like this. Just messing with him. The ref called the foul. I'm like, nah, like this is this is crazy. Ron Artest walk up on you. Oh my like, god. Ron Artest gave me Scotty Pippen. But call. <laughs> <laughs> like, what you gonna let me go? Let me go. No, but, but I was I went to my son's high school game recently. And a guy asked me for a picture, and he was a photographer slash, like, doing the highlight stuff. And I was like, I'm saying to him, you're the reason why the game's messed up. And he was like, man, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, no, I'm joking, but we got eight photographers, camera peoples. Like, the new cool is to be a photographer around high school kids getting their highlight mixtapes in order. So they under the basket. Kids are dunking, pointing at all the cameras. And I'm like... Why are, this is this is this has become the problem because it's mm-hmm. not about the competition anymore. Because somebody said like, "Yo, your son going to the league because he can shoot and he can defend and he got your last name and he know how to play." But the more you show people you know how to play, the less your value is nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you said, mm-hmm. and he said, "Look, man, it don't matter what team you play for. Put him on a good team, get him on a circuit. He only need to make two shots a game, and you can put a whole mixtape together, and then that's how you're gonna get into college, and then you can ride the wave." Off, off your mixtape to you in the league. And I was just like, oh my goodness. But when did this it's happen? Deep. The I mean, there's it's a it's a it's money now. Yeah, these kids are getting money. 
these kids are getting money. That's why I, I love NBA Africa because it's a different, I, I promise. It's like when I, even for me, playing, playing in the NBA, talking to these kids, they listen. Mm-hmm. These kids don't have the attention span to, for two minutes now. If I'm talking to a, a high school kid, it, even with the experience that I had playing in the league, I might get two, three minutes out of him. Yeah, and they might be like, you ain't yoke. It's like, nigga, that's Joe and Kim Noah. My son, <laughs> like, like, my like, son <laughs> teammates. I'd be like, hey, man, y'all just, and they just, they be looking at me like, man, this, man. man. <laughs> my bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You ain't going to be shit, and your kids ain't going to be shit neither. I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, sometimes when they look at you, like, all right, fuck you, right, keep going. Right, we gonna wrap up in a second. That's the truth. That's the truth. Normalize arguing with kids because they rude. G. They are rude. What happened, B? No, nah, you know how kids give you look. Fuck what you know, old head. The shit you used to say to people. Yeah. <laughs> fuck what you know, old head. So. <laughs> But that's why I love going to, that's why I love the NBA Africa, because mm-hmm. these kids are so hungry for knowledge and any kind of um, time you could give them, um, you know, if you can help with any kind of infrastructure. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, like, look, I pay for my ticket, I pay for my hotel room to be here with you guys because I, I really like what you guys are doing here. And, you know, it's about, for me personally, it's about trying to build an ecosystem where we can make the game, we can help make the game better, you know. And I think that even though I never grew up on the continent, I feel like there is the the need for more and better infrastructure and coaching and guys who have experience in the game if if we can build bridges where we can help out these kids, you know, these are the fastest growing youth populations in the world. So if we can gather our resources, build the court, uh, have guys, you know, come and talk to them, do a clinic, uh, talk to coaches, you know, we can build these kind of and, – and I really feel like for, for kids in the inner city in America, for them to be able to, like, know their roots mm-hmm. – I think that there's something really special there that's bigger than just basketball. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is why I'm here today is to be able to talk to you guys about this kind of, this kind of vision. You know what I mean? So, well, I, I appreciate you pulling up, man. Like, like, it's, like Et said, you talk about excited. We don't get excited about too many people, and I think it's just your presence and you know your morals, your values, what you stand for, and how you've consistently you've always been that. And so we appreciate you. We've spoken about, you know, things we're going to do in the PA. Like, I'm super excited about that. That's what's up. Like, we're going to Africa. But I ain't going without you. I ain't going without Luau. I ain't going without Royale. Royale, he was just in the gym a few weeks ago with the young boy Jalen Green. Uh So I I cannot wait. And, um, like, like you're speaking to it. Like, we're going to start building, man. And it's just a beautiful thing. So I I really appreciate you pulling up. And uh, I hope our listeners really can tune in to what's really being said and it's deeper than just, you know, going viral for some a, right. a highlight ex- explanation, but about real life stuff. So we appreciate you, fam. Respect, man. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yes. I appreciate Respect, you, my guy. Thank you, fam. Wow. Wow. No. Yes. Without a ball, it's just a court. 
And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup. Topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it. And enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy. Without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older. Please drink responsibly. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.